Welcome to the latest USGA Green Section podcast episode. I'm John Petrovsky, host and education manager in the Green Section. For this episode, we'll take a trip from east to west and catch up on the latest trends with three of our USGA agronomists. We'll chat with Brian Getka in the east, Zach Nicolutis in the central region, and Brian Whitlark out west. USGA agronomists visit several hundred golf courses per year and have a unique perspective on the trends in their region. First up is Brian Getka, our newest agronomist in the East Region. He's based in the Mid-Atlantic and was a longtime superintendent in Maryland. Here's our conversation with Brian. Brian, thanks for joining us today. I know you're making your way around the region in the East as things are ramping up this spring. So first off, we're in June, but just wanted to turn the clock back a little bit. Overall, how did golf courses in the East fare this past winter? Heard some reports of sporadic winter injury both on Ultra Dwarf and Poe Annual up here in the north. Did you see any trends or widespread injury as far as courses coming out of the winter? Yeah, down in our area, you know, I'm in the mid-Atlantic, so I'm southern Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia. I haven't seen a whole lot of injury on cool season grasses. The bent grasses have been slow in the spring, but no, no real issues coming out of winter. What we did see is uh, some injury to Bermuda grass. Uh, specifically in areas where, you know, swales and high traffic areas where the plants were just, you know, they were a little weaker, you know, and then we had December was, uh, had the flash super cold. Some areas had single digits that was sustained uh, winds. And, uh, you know, so a lot of those areas have been hit pretty hard. But, but other than that, it's just been, you know, coming out very, very slowly. We're off to another dry start here in 2023. We're used to dealing with the hot and humid weather from that aspect of turf management, but what are some ways courses can prepare for and then get through stretches of dry weather or even drought? You know, we've, we've always had some spring stretches of, you know, three weeks at a time where you're dragging some hose around and whatnot, but it's, th- this is really ongoing. Uh, I know to the South over the holiday weekend, they had gotten some rain, but everywhere in between is just, you know, low humidity, windy, bright sun. And uh, it's, it's gone on for a long time, as you said. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a good time because it's been cool. So, you know, get out there and just kind of get your watering plans down, get irrigation checked out now because, you know, summer's just starting. You know, I think that's that's my, my tip for everyone is just, you know, pace yourself. You know, we came out of a mild winter where we had not only a lot of projects were popular, but we also had golfers. There's a lot of golf in this first quarter of the year. So you're trying to maintain a golf course. You're trying to do projects. And now we're going into this dry phase where, you know, it's just not been, uh, not been easy. It's been a grind. So I, I, you know, I just really feel for superintendents right now to uh, pace yourself to get through the summer. Um, You know, get your water management practices down now, get guys trained on using moisture meters now. Um, cause you're not going to have the wiggle room, you know, right now we got cooler temperatures, you know, you can throw a little water. If we miss a little bit, we can kind of catch up right now, but as soon as it gets hot, you're going to lose that wiggle room. So let's, let's dial things in, let's practice, you know, a lot of new irrigation systems. Let's, let's get through them and just be ready. <laughs> you mentioned renovations there. There is a lot of renovation work going on here in the East. Um, a lot of courses taking advantage of the the boom in golf during COVID 
As courses wrap up projects and settle in for the summer, what are some things to keep an eye on with these newly established tees, greens, and other areas on the course? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of renovation work, and uh, it's really awesome to see, number one. And two, you know, just remember that they're not established, they're new. So they're going to require their own separate maintenance programs. You know, when we got these dry stretches right now that, you know, you're going to have to baby them more so than your other areas. Um, And that's going to continue all year. Don't back off on them. Don't try and treat them like the rest of the golf course because it's just it's they're just not going to perform that way. Um, They're they're new and uh, take care of them. Take an extra step to take care of them. You know, the course made the investment. So let's make sure we're protecting that investment and letting it shine so we can do more. A follow up on the renovation what trends are you seeing as far as fairway grass choices? We've we've seen a little bit of movement towards Zoysia down around your parts, but and any anything particular going on with seeing any courses trend one way or the other with fairway grass choices? Yeah, big trend towards Bermuda grasses in our area. Um, you know, the summers just seem to have gotten to be so long and extend into the fall. You know, September and Octobers are just warmer than they have been and and that's really some of the prime time to play golf. So these grasses just outperform anything else. And um, they're they're really doing well. This this spring, they, some of them got dinged up. Some of the tees in particular did better that were overseeded with the fine fescues that recovered. Um, some of the established grasses did just fine. But then, you know, there were some high traffic areas and there were some weaker areas that, of course, you can expect them to get dinged up. But you know, give it time. Um, unfortunately, it's been a little cold, so Bermuda grass in our area has not been growing that great. But it really, it'll come around, and it's going to be, it's going to be really good for, you know, when things do get really ugly. So uh, that's that's been a big trend, and I, I I see it continuing for sure. Very cool. Yeah, the one benefit of Bermuda grass is it's really good at the time that's most important to golfers. So we'll wrap up, Brian, with a quick annual bluegrass weevil update. Last year was a bit of a quiet year, but what are you seeing so far this year? Any early damage? And one thing I'm particularly curious about is how far south are you seeing the annual bluegrass weevil? Sure. So, of course, on our visits, we'll see some adults crawling around. Uh, I can't say they've really seen much by means of any larvae this year, Um, but adults have been cruising around. Nothing concerning by any means. Um, As far south, I know certainly seen in D.C., again, adults crawling around which isn't uh, uncommon, but uh, nothing, you know, Memorial Day weekends, usually the trigger, you start seeing the damage in our area and uh, haven't heard of anything yet, but we're also on that, on the cusp of that second generation now. So I wouldn't be surprised to, uh, with this dry weather, start seeing some areas pop up. And certainly if, you know, you're out there and you see some areas that, you know, guys should be, dig into it, see what you see and uh, let me know. Absolutely. Sometimes if you're kind of perplexed with some random damage, it's a it's a good place to investigate whether the weevils had anything to do with it. We've heard reports of them all the way down in Georgia, so we'll have to follow up on that and uh, maybe Dr. Ben McGraw can give us some insight onto how far they've actually spread. Thanks for your time today. Wish you all the best here in your first full season as a USGA agronomist. Hopefully we'll have another East to West update later this year and we can talk about what a great summer it was and Uh, how we all survived. Here's the hope, John. Well, Brian, take care. Thanks again, and safe travels. Likewise. Take it easy, John. Next up, we head to the Central Region with Regional Director Zach Nicoludis. 
Zach talked about what he's seeing as he visits courses throughout the central region, a little bit about data collection, as well as the USGA's long-term organic matter project. Zach, thanks for joining us. I know you're out traveling, visiting courses. I know it's June, but for courses that had winter injury, similar to the east, some sporadic winter injury reports out in your area, and some more widespread winter injury to Bermuda grass as you get further south in the central U.S. But just overall, can you kind of recap the year so far, how courses made it through the winter and and how the recovery process is going for those that did have some injury? Definitely not an ideal spring. We had a we had a you know kind of a warm spell through a portion of April, but then dropped into some cool cooler weather that definitely wasn't ideal for promoting recovery. Uh, most of the are from a winter injury standpoint. Saw it mainly on Poe annual greens. Um, nothing as far as winter kill or you know significant turf loss, but definitely some greens that needed a little TLC as they came out of winter and through the spring and up until this point. For the most part, everything I've seen has recovered pretty well. Still, you know, some thin areas, if you look at the right angle, I would say superintendents at golf courses where they where they saw some winter injury are still, you know, being cautious and not being too aggressive with surface management practices, but definitely, you know, in, in, have improved significantly from what we saw when uh, came out of winter. Yeah, Zach, we just got off the phone with Brian Getka in the east, and he's was just talking about how dry it's been in the in the eastern part of the United States in his region. How has your weather been trending lately? Is it kind of normal? Anything unusual going on that's that's affecting superintendents' decision making here as they get going in the season? Definitely on the drier side as well. Uh, I was doing some visits in in the Cincinnati area earlier this week. Uh, I think it was the past 22 or 24 days have had zero measurable rainfall. We're seeing more of what you would expect to see from in like maybe mid-July or late July as far as dry areas and rough and turf going dormant in the rough. So I know there's a lot of you know superintendents, assistant superintendents and members of agronomic teams who, who handle a lot of the hand watering that have, have spent a lot more time on, on the end of a hose uh, so far this year than they, they typically do for this time of year. Def- definitely gotten hose shape real quick uh, considering the weather pattern we've been in for, for much of the central or much of the northern part of the central region. You've been involved with data collection for a while and have really been instrumental in field testing our new GS3 smart ball and some of the other things involved with the USGA tools. Can you just tell us quickly what is the GS3 and in general, how can superintendents use data collection to improve their operation? Yeah, so the GS3 is a, you know, a smart golf ball that you would roll in the same way that you would uh, if you were checking putting green speed. And in addition to Measuring putting green speed measures uh, putting green smoothness and trueness. So smoothness being any up and down movement as the ball uh, rolls across the greens, as well as trueness being any side to side movement or snaking. As far as from uh, a data collection standpoint and how it can help superintendents, the way I explain it a lot is you know, don't expect to see or have an aha moment in the first you know days, weeks, or even months of collecting data. It's really about monitoring trends and how different maintenance practices impact putting green performance. In addition to obviously uh, ball roll metrics, it also, uh, the GS3 can also be used to measure putting green firmness. So help monitor or measure or collect those data points and then benchmark those against whether it's surface management practices like mowing, rolling, uh, brushing, grooming, top dressing, as well as even 
looking at, okay, well, we really find when we get into a hot and sticky, humid stretch of weather, how does that impact our putting green speed? I mean, you feel like sometimes you could sit there and roll the chlorophyll out of greens, but you really can't get over a certain speed. So it can kind of help bring some clarity or even eliminate some perceptions around why do we see certain ball roll characteristics, whether it's weather related or even, you know, kind of that perception around maybe we do some certain certain maintenance practices to putting greens and the perception may be, oh, that that, in, that impacts smoothness or we see a decline in putting green performance, but in reality, it may not be having a negative performance. It's actually improving the performance of the putting greens and, you know, eliminate those types of perceptions. Yeah, Zach, very cool. We're seeing a lot more folks starting to dip their toes in the data stream. So we'll continue to follow this trend and see where it goes in golf course management. What's one agronomic issue that's been trending for courses in the Midwest that you'll kind of be keeping a lookout for this summer? I would say over the past couple of years, and I wouldn't say necessarily an issue, but you know, organic matter management and cultural management practices that are aimed at managing organic matter. So we have a really interesting research project that we're going into the fourth year around looking at developing some guidelines for collecting uh, samples to measure organic matter, as well as how those samples are processed at a soil physical testing lab. And it's been a great project to be a part of, as well as provide some very good data for helping better understand you know, what are ideal organic matter percentages to manage in a putting green, especially in the top of that profile. Now we're looking at the top zero to two centimeters. You know, that's kind of where all the action is. We are also collecting samples at two to four centimeters and four to six centimeters. It's been really interesting because looking at surface strength and how that impacts, you know, how we perceive firmness of putting greens. Because it's certainly, what we've seen is it's certainly possible to measure what one would think is a pretty good firmness for putting greens, but the greens are playing more receptive than that number would indicate. For example, you may measure a firm putting green surface, observe ripping, tearing, or exploding ball marks. So we started to work with what's called a shear vein tester that essentially measures the force it takes to rip the top of, or rip the mat layer, or, you know, the kind of the top about three quarters of an inch or to an inch of the, of the putting green profile. And it's actually been really interesting to see how those numbers can vary and how they relate to greens that are performing at a high level um, versus those greens that may have a weakness. Now that could be a weakness created by um, a putting green growing environment. Had a real, had a unique situation at a golf course where the front half of a green received full sunlight while the back half of a green was shaded for a large portion of the day. And we saw uh, surface strength numbers on the front of that green that would indicate, you know, a green that's performing at the high level. But while when you make your way into that shaded portion of the green, significantly lower values from a surface strength standpoint, and therefore that portion of the green being much more receptive than the front of the green. So that data gives us a great idea of how that putting green is performing. But in that situation, it can be valuable data to justify why we need to increase the amount of direct sunlight that reaches that particular putting green. Definitely something that's been on a lot of people's minds. And we hear Dr. Rakaswa and Dr. Michael Woods always exploring different aspects of organic matter. So we'll definitely keep an eye on this trend. Brian Getka mentioned in the East that it's been a pretty typical year for annual bluegrass weevil so far. What are you seeing in the central region? And really curious how far west they've made it. Dr. Ben McGraw had mentioned that he's seeing them as far south as Georgia and maybe even over by Omaha. But what are you seeing in the Midwest with ABW so far? 
you know, in the region I travel through, you know, we definitely see a fair amount of ABW activity in Ohio, especially Eastern Ohio. We're seeing, we're definitely seeing them in the Cincinnati area as well as, you know, as far, and then as far West as Toledo and then up in the Southern Michigan, it's, you know, becoming, I think it's just becoming a growing concern and superintendents are definitely well aware of it, you know, kind of one way or uh, I kind of look at it, especially if a golf course has higher populations of uh, creeping bank grass, but they do have some poa annual on their golf course. If it, if it would look like you're, you're using, or if it looks like uh, Paclobutrazole applications are working really, really well, I'd probably get out and do a soap flush to see if um, there's any ABW activity because that was kind of a, a joke a joke amongst superintendents when I worked in the Mid Atlantic that you know if it, if it, if your PACO looks like it's it's it couldn't be working better it's probably there's probably something else acting on the on the POA but yeah definitely seeing them pop up in more locations and I think it's just being aware of uh, the sampling techniques to confirm if they're at your golf course and then then from there putting in a, a treatment program because once they're at your golf course. They're certainly not. They're they're certainly not going anywhere. The eradication is not possible. We're we're well aware of that. What is the furthest west that you've seen them reported? Wisconsin, maybe. I've yeah. I was going to say Wisconsin. We've had there have been uh, some confirmed golf courses up in Wisconsin. Very cool, Zach. Well, appreciate the update. All of our USGA agronomists are in full gear now as the summer is getting ready to kick off. So thank you so much for your time and safe travels out there. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to jump on the podcast anytime. Our final stop is out west where we're speaking with Regional Director Brian Whitlark, who is on site preparing for this week's U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. We touched on the current water situation and got a sneak peek at the U.S. Open where Brian is on site as a championship agronomist. Brian, you're our last stop here as we head east to west. You guys had a wet, snowy, stormy winter on the west coast. Obviously, the water issue isn't going away, but what are some of the implications from the, at least in the short term, from all the precipitation this winter, and how did the stormy weather impact courses directly? Yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride this winter for courses from California to the to the deserts. My Buddies up in the Lake Tahoe area are um, are not even open for play yet. Some of them they had ten feet of snow on the greens just uh, you know six weeks ago. So uh, it really took a gut punch uh, this winter, and uh, so conditions are tough for them. You know, a lot of their clients come up from the Bay Area, and they see. 70 degrees and they expect the golf course to be open and beautiful and you know soil temperatures are really just beginning to warm up up there so it's been tough for them uh, just kind of scrambling to get get grass growing on the, on the golf course in pockets of northern and southern california you know it was a wet cold winter so that's meant slow uh regrowth uh, a lot of those golf courses are actually uh, bermuda grass with bent grass greens and um, so that's been kind of a blessing in that there's, you know, less organic matter and thatch uh, production and the grass is green and golfers are playing golf and, and enjoying the, the, the conditions. They they lost some golf days due to rain, but um, boy, they're making up for it now. A lot of busy golf out there. And then kind of when we transition over to the desert courses, the rain has certainly helped. It hasn't really changed the overarching 
discussion about uh, drought in the in the West. It's really just a a blip. The big reservoirs of, of uh, Lake Powell and Lake Mead they will come up a little bit, but not a lot. Not not enough to really make a change the the dialogue about um, the need for water conservation measures. And um, I see a lot of discussion and and projects uh, on turf conversion. Uh, Southern Arizona, Southern Nevada, um, especially. Of course, changing over from cool season grasses or common or 419 Bermuda grass to, uh, to Tiff Tough uh, Bermuda grass, primarily some have converted to Bandera Bermuda grass or to Homa 31. And the projections are that those new grasses can save, you know, 10 to 15% water compared to uh, kind of the gold standard in the region, which has been 419 Bermuda grass for the past, goodness, 30 to 40 years. Um, but compared to cool season grass for those courses in Southern Nevada, gosh, it's 25 to 30, perhaps even more savings converting to, to Bermuda grass. So a good story there. And and I would argue that those courses are enjoying better playability and more good golfing days throughout the year. Well said, Brian. Thanks for that update. We saw some kind of storm damage on social media. That was where we kind of just seeing the worst of it. There wasn't any widespread physical storm damage. Well, a lot of trees. You know, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Clint Luke up at Del Paso in Sacramento, was scrambling New Year's Eve, got a call that, you know, there's all, all kinds of trees down on the golf course. And he was not alone. There were a lot of golf courses scrambling to get tree care companies to come in and just clean up the, the golf course. I did a visit with McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale just last week where they lost, you know, about 200 trees. And <laughs> well, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Uh, That's a good tree, tree removal plan. Yeah, it's kind of been, been nice, honestly. A lot more sunlight to the Bermuda grass and, and more uh, open views across the golf course. So, so some of that was a blessing. Some courses are doing some replanting. Um, but that, that was kind of the biggest thing that I saw was a lot of, lot of tree, tree fall. Moving on, Brian, to sort of the topic of the hour out west. You guys have a lot of USGA championships out there this year. We do. None more important than the U.S. Open, where you mentioned you'll be working, um, heading out there in just a couple of days. LACC has quite the architectural pedigree, um, one of the best designs by the guy who literally wrote the book on golf course architecture in America, George Thomas, um, then wonderfully restored by Gil Hansen uh, with some help from Jim Wagner and Jeff Shackelford in 2010. So you'll be on site throughout the championship. We'll talk about that in a minute, helping director of golf Chris Wilson. Just from the property standpoint, location, what are some of the unique things that we're going to see? Uh, LACC had the Walker Cup, but most folks, this is going to be their first time getting a look at it. Yeah, I love this golf course. I did uh, Torrey Pines uh, twice now, two US Opens at Torrey Pines, and the views at Torrey are spectacular of the ocean and such. But man, I I, uh, I love the look, the gnarly look of, of LACC. It's just, you know, kind of these two ridges that are bisected by this barranca that runs through the property and the rugged edges, the gnarliness of that barranca has been been restored by Gil Hans and his team where that is just because of the indigenous uh, sand areas where there's some native grasses and some some fescues and and these 200 year old sycamores growing in this barranca and it just kind of gives this 
unkempt kind of gnarly uh, appearance and, and the bunkers across the golf course also kind of lend themselves to that same type of aesthetic. Personally, I, I just love that kind of golf. I, I, I love the gnarliness of it. And it's, it, more than that, it's just this little oasis in, in the midst of, um, you know, sky rises in, in Bel Air and uh, L.A. And it's just this cool little oasis in the middle of the middle of this, the city. It's such a cool atmosphere. And there's some really cool features. The greens are, for the most part, they're huge. But kind of like Augusta Nassau, I guess there's there's many greens within each green you know, one of the most interesting greens is number 14, par five, where there's this lobe on the front right of that green that uh, is just diabolical. Um, the the 15th, this little bitty par three that played it, I think 78 yards at the Walker Cup. There's this little sliver of that green. Uh, so it, I mean, I, I'm optimistic about the opportunities for a drama uh, for for the U.S. Open, I'm I'm really excited to get there and and see it all uh, unfold. Yeah, Brian, we're going to get a good look at the Barranca throughout the coverage, I'm sure, and the bunkers really are a highlight of the course. But LACC is more than just the Barranca and bunkers. Can you give us a quick rundown on the uh, agronomics of the course? Maybe the grass type, soil conditions, anything unique to take note of? I know the how they built the bunkers is a little bit unique with the fine fescue and tall fescue. You know, my turf career has kind of been spent in the, in the desert. And I had this assumption that many of these courses in Southern Southern California were, were cool season grass, you know, rye, poa, bent grass. You know, when I started traveling on behalf of the USGA over there, I recognized that these courses are all Bermuda grass with, with bent grass greens and, you know, everyone thinks, well, you need a lot of heat to grow Bermuda grass. But, you know, I would argue that the the Bermuda grass in, in L.A., the Bel Air, the, the LACCs, they're some of the best Bermuda grass fairways I see anywhere I travel. They're remarkably good. You know, they have some humidity, but they don't have the heat. They don't have, you know, 350 days of sunshine like Arizona does, but yet... You know they're growing some tremendously good Bermuda grass fairways and and roughs. Now this winter was a little tougher. Like I said earlier, the, the Bermuda grass was a little slower to come out of that winter. Um, but I know Chris and his team are um, have been um, you know on top of expediting growth in in uh, roughs, uh, uh, especially to grow up the the rough for the U.S. Open. Basically, it's all uh, hybrid Bermuda grass, and then um, the greens were. Um, resurfaced to, to creeping bent grass, uh, pure distinction creeping bent grass, and um, I wasn't there for the Walker Cup, but I saw the firmness values from that championship, and they were <laughs> they were hard, they were really hard and bouncy, and uh, so I'm optimistic that, that Chris and his team will be able to produce similarly uh, firm conditions coming up for for uh, ne- well in the next two weeks really. I've talked to Chris and his team about their approach to to water management, which which is everything uh, for these championships. Water management is 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 really everything, and um, so they'll kind of go through a, a process where they'll wet up the areas of the golf course to kind of 
fill the bucket, uh, if you will, fill, fill up the soil profile, which we have learned over many years now really lends itself well to a consistent uniform dry down of, of primary plain areas, uh, especially the, the, the putting greens. So once they wet up that profile, they'll start to monitor the greens very intensely with soil moisture meters. And he's got a very experienced team on, on both sides of the golf course that will work through the, the greens uh, several times per day, monitoring moisture and, and will add moisture exclusively with, with hoses. Brian, a lot of folks know the USGA Green Section Research Program and a lot of the other things we do. Some folks don't realize that for each of the 16 championships we hold each year, there's at least one USGA agronomist assigned to each to support the maintenance staff as well as the tournament director. What's the role of the USGA agronomist at championships? Kind of take us through your typical day. You know, my role and Darren Brevard, our championship agronomist, and Elliot Dowling, we will all be on site monitoring green speed and, and firmness and uh, to kind of act as a liaison between golf course maintenance and our rules and competitions staff. Um, you know, for US Open, the, the guidelines, if you will, the course setup philosophy has been laid out for many years. And it's our role to help deliver those conditions, you know, and, and obviously consider the weather pattern um, and, and turf health throughout the duration of the championship, by no means will we sacrifice turf health, especially on the, on the putting greens. Um, but at the same time, we're there to carry out the desires of the rules and competition staff, which, as you know, is try to deliver firm and fast uh, golf course conditioning. And fortunately, that plays into the hands of, of uh, Chris Wilson and his team. They're used to delivering those conditions day in and day out. And in fact, about a year ago, I went out there and did a what I call a dry down visit with uh, Chris and his team, where I spend a couple days um, on site and I measure green speed and measure firmness on on many of the greens or all the greens, and then Chris and his team will manage moisture and collect moisture values. So we already have a pretty good idea of what moisture values we need to dry the greens down to to deliver a given uh, level of firmness. So that's excellent information to kind of guide us going into the next uh, two weeks at, at LACC. And those those visits are really helpful to provide information, decision-making information. And and then as we get into the, the practice rounds and the championship days, um, you know, our role is, is to collect that data, green speed and firmness data twice a day, and we're working with uh, Chris and his team and the hand-watering team and basically managing to moisture on the greens and also managing to the firmness of the greens. We may put more water on some greens or even some areas where there's a more diabolical hole location, for example, um, based on the firmness values. And uh, in some cases, we may be avoiding watering certain areas of the greens to uh, to try to achieve a certain level of of a, a firmness. We decide uh, early on in the championship, um, we locate a stint meter location on every single green. Hopefully it's, you know, the, uh, an area that's about 12 foot, uh, that's fairly level, but 
some cases that's difficult, so we kind of use the half uh, stint, but we mark that with a little Sharpie, uh, which is kind of funny because the players often think that those are hole locations, <laughs> uh, but they're not. So if you see some on TV, those, there's a little T-square, that uh, black T-square with a, with a Sharpie. That's stint locations that we'll measure a couple times a, a day. And we do that to direct the mowing and rolling operations. And we also want to know how the green speed is changing uh, throughout the day. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, the green speeds will slow down throughout the day, despite what we hear on TV. Uh, but we collect all this information so we can make decisions. We all get together 2.30 every day and with Chris and his team and the rules and competition staff and the USGA Green Section team. And we all collectively discuss what happened that day, where we're at with green speed and firmness, and and what we're going to do for the evening and, and morning maintenance to all the greens consistent and, and deliver a, a real test for the best players in the world. Great information, Brian. I know the USGA tournament directors have highlighted the USGA agronomist relationship as one of the most important at a championship. So any chance John Bodenhammer throws a curveball at us and puts the T markers on little 17 for one round? Well, I, I think there's a good good chance of a very short the whole uh, one day during the during the championship there's you know that little sliver of the green i i mentioned uh, what a cool story i mean yeah herb fowler's old one i mean that would that would really pop on tv yeah absolutely uh it's going to be fantastic i'm looking forward to it chris and his team are so well prepared it makes our job easy and um he's a great guy to be around and um, it's going to be a fun week That's it for this episode of the USGA Green Section Podcast. Please share, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And keep up with our latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our digital publication covering all things golf course management.